Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. John chapter 15 this morning. It's hard to believe that our eight-week worship series is concluding this morning. This is our last in the series. Next Sunday, we begin a new series called Made to Mature, looking at the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter. We'll talk more about that at the end of the service. But this morning, we want to dive right into our study of John chapter 15. The last of the I am statements in John 15, 1, Jesus declares, I am the true vine. And then again in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine. What is Jesus saying to his disciples from this declaration? Well, one is that he's God. I am. I am that I am. He is the self-existent, eternal God, the one who always was, always is, and always will be. But seven of these we have looked at adds a metaphor or a description, and here it is the vine. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, but before we actually get into that statement and the explanation of it, I want to talk for a moment about the environment surrounding this declaration, sort of the context like we did last week. That's important. Remember, from chapter 13 through chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, this all takes place the night before Jesus was crucified. And at the end of chapter 14, you'll notice with me, the last words of Jesus in, verse, in chapter 14 are to his disciples, get up, let us go from here. Well, where were they and where are they going? Well, the first thing I want us to understand is they're going out into the night, okay? And though they're going out into the physical night, in a sense, this is also illustrating the spiritual darkness that is surrounding this moment as well. You see, Jesus' time with his disciples in the upper room has concluded. Judas has now left to go to betray him. There's only 11 disciples and Jesus left. And they are going to now go out of the city of Jerusalem, down into the Kidron Valley, and up to the Garden of Gethsemane, a garden which is filled with vines and branches that even in the night they will be close enough to be reminded of exactly what Jesus is going to talk to them about here. And let's not forget that as they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the time where Jesus is going to encourage his followers to watch and pray with him. And yet they fall asleep. And this is the moment where Jesus in that same garden is going to agonize and literally sweat great drops of blood as he talks to his father. So this is what is happening here at this moment when he says at the end of chapter 14 to his followers, get up, let's go from here. We're going out into the night 
and we're going up to the Garden of Gethsemane. I've still got some work to do there as well. But let's look for a moment now at the explanation. Jesus says, first of all, in verse 1, I am the true vine. The life of God flows through Jesus. And all other attachments, all other vines, all other things that you and I can connect to are inferior and insufficient to Jesus. He is the true vine. A vine is that which obviously supplies life and sustenance and nourishment to the branches in order for them to be fruitful. And Jesus here is saying, I'm your spiritual vine. I'm the one that's going to supply you with everything that you need. You will not need anything outside of me. Everything that you need can be found within me. I will supply you. I will sustain you. I will give you the nourishment. I will give you everything you need. I am the true vine. Again, as human beings, we can attach ourselves or connect ourselves to a lot of different things or to a lot of different people, but no one or nothing can give us what only Jesus can give us. Only he can supply us with the life of God. Only he can supply us with the abundant life that he came to give us. Only he can supply us with the spiritual strength that we'll need and the wisdom that we'll need and the stamina that we'll need and all these different things. It only comes through Jesus. I am your vine. But he says a couple other things here that surround that statement. In verse 1 and 2, he says, if I'm the vine then I want you to see my father, your father, as the gardener. The one who manages the garden, in a sense of God, the spiritual garden, the one who works in it, the one who takes care of it, who oversees it, if you will. And here's what the father does in verse 2. Two different things. One, he takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. Why? because every true Christian will bear fruit. Now, different levels. Not every Christian, in fact, here this morning, if every person in this room is a Christian, and that would be great if that was the case, you realize not any of us are bearing fruit at the same level. Some more, some less, but we're all bearing fruit at different levels. But as a Christian, you can mark it down if you are truly a Christian, if you truly have accepted Christ as your Savior, there will be evidence of some kind of fruit. Something, you see, in our life. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, he's a new creation. And there will be some evidence of spiritual life in your life if you're a Christian. But, Here's what Jesus is also saying. There are always going to be those who can live in physical proximity to me, but who are not truly attached to me. And they truly do not have spiritual life within them. 
and think about the one we just talked about a few moments ago, one of his very own, Judas. Judas was somebody that even the other 11, when Jesus said at the table that night in the upper room, one of you is going to betray me, they all looking at each other like, well, who would that be? They weren't like, oh, well, we know who it is. It's Judas. They had no clue. There was nothing clearly evident about Judas that would have made the other 11 disciples think, oh, well, he's the one. No. Outwardly speaking, he was just like the rest of them, you see. There was nothing about him in that way, and yet he was lost. He was never truly attached to the vine through a personal relationship with God. One of the sobering things that we have to realize as Christians is somebody can go to church regularly and not be saved. Somebody can know the Bible and not be saved. The Bible even says, in fact, Jesus even says, somebody can cast out demons and do miracles in my name and not be saved. Remember at the end of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, these were the kind of people that say, Lord, we're in, right? We're, we're going to glory, heaven for all. And he said, I never knew you. I never, you did many good works. You did miracles. You cast out demons. You knew the Bible. You lived in physical proximity to me, but you were never truly attached to the vine. I think about the reality that there's going to be people when we get to heaven that we're going to be surprised is there. But I think even more shocking is that there's going to be people that we thought would be in heaven with us, and they're not. Because like Judas, they never really made a personal heart choice to God. They, like Judas, lived in physical proximity to other Christians to spiritual things, went to Bible studies, all these different external things that anybody could do, but their heart never accepted Christ and made room for him in their life. And God is saying here that eventually the Father will remove them because they're just sucking the, the uh, vitamins and the, the nutrients from others by being in that environment. He will eventually take them away and separate them from the true branches connected to the vine. But then notice what else Jesus says here by way of explanation in verse 2. The Father also will prune every branch that does bear fruit, every true Christian, so that it will bear more fruit. The word prune literally means to clean or to purge. In other words, the father is in charge of removing whatever is hindering productivity of fruitfulness in our life as a Christian so that we can bear more fruit. And by the way, purging, pruning can be painful at times. Sometimes the gardener has to get out the, the knife or the snips or whatever and cut some things away or cut some things back. And so just like in our life, many times we as Christians may wonder, God, why are you allowing these painful things into my life? And God would simply say, because I love you enough that you're already attached to me and you're bearing some fruit, I want you to bear more fruit. Again, 
when we know the Bible, we know that our relationship with God isn't always about our comfort. It's about our conformity to the image of Jesus Christ, and it's about us being fruitful disciples like he's talking about here. And Jesus then is saying, I want you to be attached to me because without you being attached to me, you have no spiritual life. You can be living in physical proximity to me. You can be close to me. You can be around me. You can be involved in everything I'm doing, but there may not be that literal attachment to me. And if there is that attachment to me and you're bearing fruit at some level, then know this. God's going to come in every once in a while and he's going to take out the dead wood or something in, in our lives that is hindering us from being more productive and more fruitful in our lives. That's the explanation of this great declaration, I am the vine. In verse 3, he says to the 11 that are left, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remember back in the upper room, whenever Jesus is going around and he's washing the disciples' feet and he gets to Peter and Peter says, well, Jesus, if you're washing me, then I, I want to basically, I want to take a bath. I want to be washed all over. And Jesus says, Peter, if you've already been washed in me that way, then all you need and all that's necessary for you is that you just have your feet washed. You don't need to go back and get all washed again. Now, let me cut through all that to just simplify it, because I have to simplify it for me, not for you, okay? What Jesus then is saying is, once we're saved, we don't have to go keep going back and being saved over and over again. But I do need to be cleansed, because when I sin, because we're not going to be perfect, that fellowship needs to be restored, and that's done through cleansing. If we confess our sins, John says, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all of our sin. Cleansing. Cleansing. So Jesus is saying, look, you guys, you're clean already. There, there's already been a, a, an inner cleansing in you, but, but you, you need your feet washed because you're, you're living in a, a dirty world and you're still dirty yourself and you're going to get a little dirty and you, you need to go through that cleansing thing. But now beginning in verse 4, we go from the environment of this declaration, the true vine or the vine, and the explanation of this declaration to the exhortation that is sort of planted, no pun intended to this gardening thing, planted by Jesus within this passage of Scripture. And it's really just one exhortation. I want you to see with me this morning that eight times in these first eight verses of John 15, Jesus uses this word, and it's the first word in verse 4, remain. Remain. Remain in me. That, that, that's the one thing now that we as Christians, we don't have to get saved again. But what we do need to concentrate on, what we do need to focus on, what we do need to pay attention to is remaining in Jesus, 
once we're saved. It means to stay connected. It means to stay close. It speaks of intimacy and nearness. Another word that could be used here is abide. Abide in me. Remain in me. Notice these eight times Jesus uses. Four of them is found in verse 4. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. Very similar to what James says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains, there's the third use of it in the vine, so neither can you unless you, fourth use, remain in me. Then go down to verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains, who stays attached to me, who abides in me, and I am him, bears much fruit, because apart from me you can accomplish nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain, there's the sixth use of the word in me. Then the seventh use, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words, the eighth use remain in you. I think Jesus has something he wants to get across, right? Remain, 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 remain. That's the exhortation. Once you have established that you are attached to me as the vine of your life, then stay connected to me at all costs. Don't distance yourself from me. Don't disconnect from me in any way because I am your only sufficient source. I'm the only, every other vine you can attach to, any other person, any other thing is going to be inferior or insufficient to me. I'm the only one that can give you everything you need at all the times you need it throughout your whole life. I am the true vine. I'm the real deal. So you've got to remain. And whatever we need to do, whatever decisions or choices or priorities that you and I need to have in our life in order to stay as close as we can to Jesus, that's what we've got to do. No matter what the cost, no matter what it is, you and I have to go, okay, now that I'm saved, I really only have one priority in my life. See, We complicate the Christian life more than it ever has to be. God says, I'll make it really simple for you. Once you're attached to me, then the only thing you've got to do is remain. Because everything else is going to flow out of you staying connected and attached to me at all times. We saw even the next day, how this very principle came to fruition in Peter's life in the negative way. It was the day that Peter denied that he even knew the Lord three times that Jesus predicted. And the Bible clearly says that Peter was following Jesus at this time at a distance. He had distanced himself even physically from Jesus, which again pictures for us what was going on spiritually, that he had distanced himself and disconnected himself from Jesus. And that's why he betrayed him, because Peter did not stay connected and stay close to Jesus. As they saw what was happening to Jesus, 
It was like the disciples were like thinking about their own skin, obviously, and saving their own bacon, as we say. And so they were like, bye, see you later. Don't know the guy, <laughs> never met the guy, don't, you know. No. Even as we talked about last week, when it looks like life has been put to death, he's still our way, he's still our truth, and he's still our life. And we've still got to stay connected. Remember, they were going out into the darkness of the night, and it was going to not only be physically dark, it was going to be spiritually dark that night. Satan was going to be very active that night. He was going to come in and take over Judas, who was going to betray him. The soldiers were going to come to the garden that night, and they were going to arrest him. And there was all kinds of darkness going to happen. But Jesus says, I don't care what the darkness looks like, how dark it is, whatever. You just stay connected to me even through the darkness and you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Now, obviously this last year, we've heard this phrase way too often, social distance, right? And what I want us to get from that phrase today is that's not something that we ever do with Jesus. You will, you will distance yourself from Jesus to your own peril. Because the more you and I distance ourselves and put space between us and Jesus, the more bad things are going to happen spiritually to us. The way you and I stay in a good place is when we are in unbroken, continual fellowship with Jesus Christ. And whatever you and I need to do to get there and stay there, that's what we've got to do. So each of us today basically has to begin to think through and consider and contemplate, how do I apply this? If, if my one thing that I've got to focus on as a Christian, once I've connected to the vine, is I've got to remain in him, then what's that mean for me? How do I need to order my life and do things in my life in order to stay as connected to Jesus Christ as possible? Because here's what I want us to see this morning for the rest of our time together. Once we saw the environment of this declaration surrounding it, and the explanation of this declaration, and then saw the exhortation born out of this declaration remain in me, I want us to see three things that Jesus gives us that are the encouragement that comes when we're obedient to this declaration of remaining in Jesus. Three things. And this is not exhaustive, but here in this passage, it's huge, especially when you think about... <laughs> the time in which this was said, and what was going to happen in the next few days. Let's go up to verse 5. The first encouragement to remaining in Jesus is fruitfulness. Again, every true Christian will be fruitful to some degree, but Jesus says, even in verse 8, my Father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit, that we are consistently productive and profitable. And so Jesus says in verse 5, 
I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. In other words, only in partnership with Jesus can we be fruitful. You and I cannot be fruitful if we disconnect from Jesus, even as a Christian. I will not be a fruitful Christian or as fruitful as I could be or should be if I'm not remaining and abiding and staying connected, staying glued, adhering to Jesus Christ. But, but if I do, the fruitfulness, notice, is a natural result of simply abiding. You see, as Christians, so often we get so caught up in, I, I got to concentrate on being fruitful, you know. I start worrying, about, I got to be a more fruitful Christian because the Bible says our fathers honor it. No, I don't ever have to think about being fruitful. Again, God simplifies it. All he says is the fruitfulness will take care of itself if you just remain. Well, that's freeing, that's liberating. I don't ever then have to worry about being fruitful. All I have to concentrate on is just staying connected to Jesus, and the fruit will be a natural result of staying connected to the vine. And here's a couple other things with regard to fruitfulness. First of all, because we're unique and we all need to be bearing fruit because that's the true evidence that we are a true Christian, we also have unique fruit. Your fruitfulness isn't going to look like my fruitfulness, and my fruitfulness isn't going to look like your fruitfulness. So we've got to stop comparing ourselves to one another because we're all going to bear different kinds of fruit. One of you is going to be an orange tree. The other one's going to be an apple tree. I think I'm a plum or something. I don't know. But what I'm saying is we've got to stop measuring ourselves against each other. All God asks of us is be the fruitful tree I created and planted you to be. That's all you've got to worry about. And the other thing I want to say is this. Fruitfulness is not activity and busyness. So many Christians down through my lifetime have equated fruitfulness with running with their hair on fire everywhere and being involved in every last thing down the, that comes down the pike. That's not fruitfulness. In fact, the Bible says that if you understand fruitfulness and even how things operate in nature, that not everything bears fruit every season. Even Psalm 1 says that the tree planted by the rivers of water brings forth its fruit in its season. So what that tells me is that I can still be a productive, profitable Christian, even though maybe the most spiritual thing I'm doing by remaining in Jesus that season is resting. Because things need to rest, too, in order to, to soak up the nutrients and get what they need so that when the season of fruitfulness comes, it can pop. Sometimes just being with Jesus is being fruitful. Because in that season, we're gaining what we need for maybe the season to come. All Jesus says, though, is, you remain in me, and what? You'll bear much fruit. The fruitfulness will take care of us. So, first encouragement, if I just remain in Jesus, I'll be a fruitful Christian. Second, if I remain in Jesus, 
I will have an effectiveness in my prayer life. Look at verse 7. And by the way, notice he starts out with the word if, because that's always our choice to remain. Once we choose Jesus as our Savior, we also have to choose him every day for fellowship, to remain, to stay connected, to stay glued, to stay to adhere. God doesn't force his closeness, his intimacy on us. It's something you and I have to want at the heart level, which is really what building hearts of worship is all about. It's wanting Jesus. It's valuing him. It's knowing that he's worth more than anything else. Therefore, I'm going to arrange my life to make sure that I remain in him. And so Jesus says in verse 7 to his disciples, if your choice is to remain in me, and my words remain in you, then notice this phrase, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. What? Yeah, you know why? Because when you and I remain in continual, unbroken fellowship with Jesus, guess what's happened? Our heart then begins to be shaped like his heart. Our heart aligns with God's heart so that the things that we are going to ask him for, we have confidence because of our alignment with him over such a period of time that what we're asking him for is what he wants for us. And therefore, it it, it builds confidence as I pray. It builds clarity as I pray. I even know what I want to pray for because I know it's what he wants me to be asking him for. And it certainly builds effectiveness because I understand that I know that when I ask him for this, he's going to do it because I know his heart. And the reason I know his heart is because I've remained in him for such a long period of time that through that continual unbroken fellowship, I know that my heart is aligning with his heart so that whatever I ask, I know he's going to do it. But I tell you what, when you get to that place in your Christian life, again, it it takes us up to a whole other level. And that's the kind of prayer warriors that God wants to create, the kind that has has lived in such unbroken uh, fellowship with him that, that our hearts are just the same, and we've got this holy boldness when we pray for things. And we just know, and, and some Christians are like, how can, how can you pray that? I can pray that because I know the heart of my Jesus. That's how I know. That's how I know. So not only does Jesus say, If you remain, I want to encourage you to remain, because if you remain, you're going to be a fruitful Christian and continuing to bear more and more fruit throughout your whole life. And second, your prayer life is going to take on a whole other dimension. You're going to be like that Elijah that James talks about. The prayer of a righteous man has great power and effectiveness. He was a man just like us, but he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then after that, God laid it upon his heart to pray that it would rain. And when he prayed, it poured down the rain. Why did he do that? Because Elijah was more special than us? No, the Bible clearly says he was just like us, put his pants on one leg at a time. But that was a man whose heart was aligned with God. And when he went to the throne of God, he knew that the things he was asking for were the things that God desired to. And that's the kind of prayer life that God wants us to have. Finally, verse 11. The other encouragement to remaining in Jesus, joy. 
Don't miss this. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you. Let's stop there. That's craziness. See, Jesus saying, it's not about your joy because your joy is very inferior and insufficient to my joy. But if you stay connected to me, the vine, guess what? My joy is going to continually flow into your life so that you literally walk around with the joy of Jesus Christ in your life every day. And then he says, and it will build and build and build until your joy may be complete. What's that mean? It means that that joy of Jesus will literally permeate every aspect of our life and every fiber of our being. There will not be a part of us that does not have the joy of Jesus, and there will not be an aspect of our life that doesn't have the joy of Jesus. It will literally fill up us and everything about us so that when we go through life, no matter whether they're good days or bad days or whatever the circumstances are, we will be carrying the joy of Jesus Christ because we have remained in the vine. What would it be like to be living with the joy of Jesus Christ every day? What would it be like to have the confidence and clarity to know that everything I'm asking God for, I know he'll do it because I know his heart. And what would it be like to know I never have to worry or be concerned or anything about being a fruitful Christian because all I have to do is stay connected to my Jesus every day and the fruit will just start coming. Wow. This is Jesus' basically last message to the disciples before he goes into the garden and sweats great drops of blood. It's the last message Jesus gives before he's arrested that night, and nothing as far as the lives of his disciples are ever the same ever again. This is what Jesus wants his disciples to get, maybe more than anything else that he set up to this point. I know you guys are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. I know you're connected to me, unlike Judas, unlike Judas. But now I need you guys to listen. I need you to do one thing for me for the rest of your life. Remain. Stay connected. Stay adhered. Stay glued to me no matter what. If you do that, you'll be fruitful, you'll be prayerful, and you'll be joyful. Could we stand, please? God, I pray this morning that, God, our heart's desire would be that we would be connected to the true vine. God, if there's never been a time in our life where we truly opened up our heart and accepted you, Jesus, as our Savior, I pray that this morning would be that day whether you're here in this auditorium in Gilbert, Arizona, or you're watching us somewhere live stream this morning across this country or around the world, God, that today would be the day of salvation. That we would realize, God, that maybe like Judas, we were living in physical proximity to you and spiritual things, but there was never a time where we personally opened up our heart and say, Jesus, you come in and save me. 
And if we are in that condition, and God, you know who's saved and who's not, then I pray that our heart's desire as those who are already your children, your disciples, that we would make a renewed commitment to remain in you, God. Whatever that looks like, however we apply that to our own personal life, whatever priorities need to change, whatever choices or decisions need to be made or not made, from this moment forward, God, our number one focus, our number one goal of our life is to remain in you, Jesus, because you're the only one that the life of God flows through to our lives. Every other vine, every other person or thing that we could connect ourselves to or attach ourselves to is inferior and insufficient to you, Jesus. You're the true vine. So God, may we make a commitment as a church and may we make a commitment as individual Christians here today to just take a hold of you and never let go. To not walk one step away from you, Jesus, but to continue to press in and get closer and closer and closer. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing, Give Me Jesus. I think it's one of our favorite songs here at the Oasis. Let's not just sing it with our voices, but let's sing it from our hearts. Let's give it everything we've got, and let's, let's let others know, and let's let Jesus know that Jesus, more than anything in this world, we want you. We want to stay connected to you more than anything else. Let's sing it out as a song of worship to our Lord this morning. 